right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Happy Halloween. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me is Nick Springer. Hey, are you going to be doing any trick-or-treating tonight? Um, maybe. For those of you that can't see since we're on the radio, Nick is actually wearing a costume today. He dressed up as Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Specifically, uh, the pink cowboy outfit. Mm-hmm. That's the one I went for. I couldn't between I couldn't decide between that and like the 80s leotard. <laughs> the bright leotard. I thought that would have been pretty good too. But uh no, yeah. I decided to be a cowboy. So if you see a weird a man walking girl? around in in Pink tights in that are tight, way too uh, tight. Pink jeans and like a little pink vest. Yeah. You know that's Nick. There you go. No, uh, I, I'm looking forward. I mean, Halloween tonight means I get to eat a bunch of candy that's left over. True. And yeah. it doesn't get taken from the house. Yeah, so you, you're more of a sit around and let people come to you and give them candy, right? That's more your As thing. opposed to what? Going out and trick-or-treating. Oh, yeah. I thought you were saying like... Well, I'm an adult. Why would I go out and trick or treat, dude? There's no age limit on trick or treating. Yes, there is. No, there's not. If I if I see a 40 year old man dressed up coming up asking me for candy, I'm gonna tell him to buzz off. Even if he's with the, like a five year old, kid? I'll give the five year old kid candy. So why can't the guy dress up? The guy can dress up. I don't have a problem with somebody wearing a costume. It seems like you do. No, I don't. Not at all. I have a problem <laughs> with said guy asking me for candy. The candy is for the kids. Well, what if he asked for candy just to give it to his kid? Then that's fine, I guess. So what? I'm confused. What's the issue then? You don't see the issue in a 50 year old or 40 year old person or th- whatever uh, coming up to get the the candy is for the kids trick or treating. <laughs> Adults can dress up and wear costumes too, but you can't trick or treat. But you can go trick or treating with, with the kids. Yes, but you are not the one trick or treating. I don't know why this is so hard for but you. You to can understand. still get some candy. Can't no, you? no. <laughs> that's so weird. It's it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Okay. Uh, we're going to get to our I was uh, just trying to KU Oklahoma notebook. We have Matt Tate joining the show at 3.40. Kevin Flaherty will join the show at 4.40. we got an NFL recap. we got our KU football heroes and villains segment. we got some Lance Leipold audio. Plenty of stuff coming at you on today's edition of the show. So let's start there. KU offensive notebook or, or KU notebook. We'll start in the offense. I feel like the running game's back. Uh, when you look back to the Oklahoma State game, 91 rushing yards, under 100 yards for the first time all season long. The KU running backs, both of them are just so electric. And it's it, it's electric for so many reasons. I mean, both guys are great. Uh, you get great offensive line blocking. Like, the high shot touchdown that made it 14-0 was such an example of why it works. You have Daniel Highshaw getting good blocks from the offensive line. Then Mason Fairchild has a good, like, hook block on the outside. Devin Neal goes with him and blocks. Then Daniel Highshaw stiff arms a couple of them. It's just like everything comes together there. I feel very confident that the Oklahoma State game is just going to be the blip on the radar, the what happened running the ball game, that most of the games are going to be closer to what we've seen over the majority of the season, which is KU running for 200-plus yards. Yeah, I mean, I think the more you look at it, I have to agree with you. Oklahoma State game looked like a bit of an outlier, and 
Uh, I kind of touched on this yesterday, though. I mean, Iowa State's defense has been pretty solid, and they run a similar. I think they run a similar style to what Oklahoma State wants to do, and so I guess to me, this game against Iowa State will be the real test of if that Oklahoma State game was just a blip or not, because I think Iowa State is going to pose a pretty unique challenge on the ground. But KU certainly bounced back against Oklahoma, and in a game in which Oklahoma welcomed that game becoming physical, right? I mean, you and I kind of agreed that the weather was probably going to be a benefit to Kansas. Well, Oklahoma leaned into that. They leaned into that. I mean, they were they were, they were were more than willing to play a game that was physical and in the trenches. And it, it did work for them a little bit. But KU made adjustments, and they stuck with and they stuck with their own ground game offensively, and it continued to pay dividends for them. So uh, that was what stood out to me most is that Oklahoma really welcomed that style of game. They seemed ready to play that style of game, both on offense and defense. And while they did have some success running against KU, the defense made adjustments and tightened up. And offensively for KU – they continue to ground and they continue to make progress and they didn't shy away from their run game. You know, I think when you go back to the Oklahoma State game, it maybe feels like KU went away from the run game a little too quickly, maybe a little bit. And you can say the same thing about the Texas game. So KU's two losses were two games in which maybe they went away from the run game a little bit. So it's clear that in order for KU's offense to be successful, the the running attack has to be a, a focal point, has to be a pillar of their success. And it was against Oklahoma when KU needed it to. And they were able to break off some long runs too, right? Devin Neal had a long run. Uh, Daniel Hyshaw had a couple long runs. He had the one touchdown run that got called back on on the the questionable holding call where Armajay Reed Adams got pe- got penalized for just being big, basically, is what it seemed like. Uh, so that was a bit unfortunate, but but yeah, it's it's clear that if this KU offense is going to be successful, especially with Jason being at quarterback, they have to have a, a ground game element to their attack. Because that helps out Jason Bean, certainly, and and it's clear that that is something that they want to lean on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking at the numbers now. KU's had 220-plus rushing yards in five of their eight games. They've had 120-plus in seven of the eight. They've averaged five or more yards per carry in six of the eight. So, to your point, yes, the Iowa State game could also be a kind of blip on the radar game, too. Well, I don't even know. I mean, I think it just could just be Well, Iowa State's got a really stick. good defense. Yeah, yeah, it could just be a measuring stick. Yeah, game. how dominant you can be. But even if they have a, a down rushing game, I, I just view it as like over the overhaul, like the majority of, of what you have remaining, you're going to be a really good rushing team sure. the rest of the way. And I thought the Wildcat plays actually worked really nice. Like, um, There were, I don't know, a couple plays that Devin Neal ran the ball. There were there was the one play that Devin Neal handed it off to Jason Bean, and then he had the completion to Luke Grimm. I thought those looked good. Uh, I It felt like when the Wildcat first started in the late 2000s, like it was all the rave, then everybody yeah. started doing it. And then, and then it people quickly realized that, fizzled. Oh, when you run Wildcat, you're just going to run exactly. quarterback power. And it just like didn't work <laughs> for a while. Maybe we're getting to the point where not enough teams run it as much. And if you have the specific personnel, it's okay to do it now and again. And I think KU has the right personnel to do it. Yeah, well, I think what you saw a lot from KU was they were utilizing a lot of the same personnel, like not making substitutions, but still managing to give Oklahoma a lot of different looks because of a lot of the motions and with the Wildcat they were doing, that was what stood out to me. Is like, you know, in, in this day and age where, like, subbing is so important and getting different personnel packages on, if you are KU's offense, you have the ability to give the Oklahoma defense a lot of different formation looks that maybe still you have simplistic plays behind it, but if you can just give them a different formation without subbing and force the defense to kind of try to match up or, what, or just make them think an extra five seconds about what they're doing, that can open up different things, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I saw, right? I saw a lot of 
when Devin Neal was in the Wildcat, you saw Jared Casey going in motion, Jason Bean in motion, and then there were a lot of plays where Jason Bean was at quarterback and you saw guys going in motion a lot. So that was a, clearly uh, an emphasis for them in this game plan against Oklahoma. Now, knowing Andy Kolnicki, I would suspect that we are not going to see any of that ever again the rest of the season. Maybe. It wouldn't shock me if we see it a little bit here or there. Because there's I, been some stuff that he's done in some games that has not come up ever again. It could it's been come like up. a one-time thing. I know, but it could come up again in the last game of the season, right? I don't know. Sure, sure. It's like you go back there. to the Illinois game where they were doing the split stuff. We haven't seen, we haven't really seen that at all again. They did it on the one two-point conversion. Well, that was a bit too. That was to the extreme. Okay, but if you remember in the in the Illinois game, to kind of mitigate uh, Johnny Newton, they were doing a lot of stuff where like the tackle would just line up like an extra two yards wider than where he would normally line up with the guard to like just extend that out mm-hmm. and that helped open up ground holes in the ground game haven't really seen any of that again I think that was more of a, just a specific Illinois game plan and I think this this stuff against Oklahoma may have been specific I don't know we'll see well I did think this was a perfect game to show off why don't look at the box score to understand how good the KU receivers are Quentin Skinner goes two catches for 32 yards but like the one catch he made was ridiculous Lawrence Arnold only had three catches in the game but he, All three were very, very gigantic. important catches. Luke Grimm only had two catches, but one of them was on that wildcat play. The other was on a fourth and four. Yep. Like, they all just seem to come at important times. And even though I, I think KU's leading receiver, uh, Lawrence Arnold, has just over 400 yards, I mean, none of the receivers are going to have stats at the end of the year that probably get them onto an all-conference team. If they were on a team where there weren't as many good options or that threw the ball more, I think somebody would end up, though, on, on one of those teams. Oh yeah, I mean because they're talented. Luke Grimm is has been a guy that's consistently talked about as being an NFL type player, right? Lawrence Arnold, I think maybe could be putting himself in that conversation. Quentin Skinner obviously brings a lot to the table from a from a, a going deep standpoint and and kind of straight line speed and things like that. So they they all bring unique things to the table, and yeah, I think certainly these are these are really really high quality players and. Like you said, when you've got all those guys, and then you throw in Mason Fairchild, and then you throw in your occasional pass to Jared Casey, and then you throw in, you know, wanting to get the ball in the hands of Devin Neal and, and Daniel Hyshaw, it's just it kind of limits the the ceiling of maybe what you can be on a game by game basis. But that doesn't take anything away from the fact that you can be playing at a very very high level. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, by the way, I did not expect KU to win a game against OU going four of fourteen on third down. Yeah, that is a bit surprising. You would have thought they would have had to been a lot more efficient there. Yeah. Yeah, and we were just talking about this off air, but KU's no longer the best in the Big 12 on third down. No, it's K-State. They've, they've, they've dipped. Uh, they've been Second. not as successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I, I will say, dude, Andy Kolnicki, he was he was in his bag the whole the whole game against against Oklahoma. I mean, he was scheming up a lot of stuff. And a lot of stuff that had guys open that were misses sometimes, but also just a lot of really, really unique play calls that were working. Defensive side of the ball for the notebook, I guess part of the reason you were able to do that with 4 14 on third down is that your defense held Oklahoma to 2 of 10 on third down. That's obviously very helpful. Uh, part of the reason why was when you're able to make some key plays, whether it's you know guys like Melo Dotson making a big play on a pick six, defensive ends, like Austin Booker continues to flash. I know this one was a fourth down, but he was the one who had the hit on the first fourth down by Oklahoma that they end up getting stopped on, and, and it's kind of like an incompletion. Uh, him and Jeremy Robinson. I mean, Aiden Hatcher's good. Patrick Joyner gives you flashes. Yeah, right. You have other guys there, but those two—that's such a good duo, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Austin Booker obviously, I think, is getting a lot of the limelight, but Jeremy Robinson has been elite. And there's a specific play that sticks out to me with Jeremy Robinson. 
Uh, Oklahoma ran like one of those pop pass jet sweeps, I think, to the far side of the field. And Jeremy Robinson was able to chase it down and push it to the outside. It was to uh, Drake Stoops, I think. Um, and Jeremy Robinson was able to chase it down and and basically completely mitigate it. They got no gain, maybe even lost a yard or two on the play. And as soon as I saw that play, I thought, man, that is an NFL play, right, from a defensive lineman. In the NFL, when you have speed like that and you can force and chase a guy down on the outside, chase chase down a wide receiver or a skill position player to the outside and either force them to work all the way laterally to where it's no gain or even make the tackle, which which Robinson ended up making the tackle, that's an NFL play. Mm-hmm. Like That is a play that NFL scouts are going to be looking at and saying, okay, if he can do that, he can play on Sundays. So that that was what jumped out to me. That that specific play really stuck in my mind uh, with Jamie Robinson because that to me that's that is an NFL level play when you can do that from, from the defensive line position. So I understand Austin Booker's beginning the spotlight and rightfully so he's been fantastic. But man, Jamie Robinson also has stepped up in a big way and is making a lot of plays and and it's crazy because the question coming into the season was was Jamie Robinson going to be able to do that and. He has done that, but it's almost been overshadowed by the fact that Austin Booker has played so well. So you've 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 Jimmy Robinson has emphatically answered one of the one of the principal questions we had about the D line coming into the season, and I think the reason we're not talking about it as much as we might otherwise is because you've brought in another guy in Austin Booker who has done that and and more, uh, which which is fantastic because now you've got that X factor playmaker on one end with Austin Booker, and you've got the this the stalwart veteran senior player and, uh, and Jamie Robinson that can make a lot of those plays too. So, yeah, th- those guys have been fantastic. And, and, again, just to highlight the last couple of plays of the game where KU was rushing three and playing coverage to win the game, and they were still getting home very quickly and forcing Dylan Gabriel to make throws under duress with less than 10 seconds left in the game. They hit him on the one that was incomplete, and they really, really got to him and, and affected the, his throw to try to win the game on the last play. And that obviously ended up being very significant for KU to get the win. So, yeah, outstanding work from those guys, and hopefully they can uh, they can keep that up the rest of the season. Partially them, partially the coverage. It's wild to me that Dylan Gabriel, who is just putting up these monster numbers, part of it, you know, weather helped here. Uh, they allowed just 170 passing yards. Oh, you did average nine yards per attempt. I think I mentioned this yesterday, though. If you take out the 39-yarder that could have been OPI or was just kind of a lucky completion at the end, they would have had 131 passing yards, 7.3 yards per attempt. So overall, excellent pass defense game. And that honestly, most of that was just on like two throws to Drake Stoops, to be completely honest. So do you think that Oklahoma recognized that Dylan Gabriel sucks in in like the cold and they were like, we're just going to not, we're just going to game plan around that? I think so. Because they didn't even, you know what I mean? It wasn't I mean, the, I mean their run, the their run game. Times, yeah, the run game yeah. was working for them, so I get it. But you know, when you've got a player like that who is a top five Heisman candidate at this stage of the season, mm-hmm. you would think that you would have a little bit more faith in him to, you know, sling and do something. Right, right. And they didn't really seem to have that. No, they really didn't. Yeah, that was a little bit surprising that they didn't let him go after it more. So. I don't know. Maybe maybe that uh, they did kind of acknowledge that to a certain standpoint. Now, Dylan Gabriel did run a lot over you. Um, stopping quarterback run plays still remains to be kind of a bugaboo for Kansas. As we look to the finish of the season, though, I don't know how much... Now, I, I say this, and, and KU's even allowed like non-scrambling quarterbacks to be able to have some big gains <laughs> at times against them. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But, like, you look at this week. Like, Rocco Becht. He's not a scrambler. No, he's not. He has uh, 36 carries this year for 77 yards. Yeah, not a scrambler. Two touchdowns. Yeah. 
So not really scramble. Uh, Will Howard play, can scramble. Yeah. Avery Johnson, if that's who you face, problem. That's a big problem. Big problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> big problem. And then Texas Tech's their third string. I don't yeah, we'll know. see who the quarterback is by then. I don't <laughs> yeah. know if it'll be back to the is, backup is Morton, by then. But he'll be back by then. But even then, he's not like an he's overly a, mobile guy. Like that was more of Tyler Shuck, and yeah. you don't have to worry about that. And, and then, then you got Emory Jones. Emory Jones. Can he's scramble he a is bit. a scrambler, but I don't think they've really been utilizing him that they much. They haven't. Which has been kind of yeah, it's been more in his past. because he definitely has a strength as a scrambler. He does, and uh, they just haven't has, been doing yeah, this year. I mean, he has 441 rushing yards this year. Oh, that's pretty good. So, you know, 3.9 yards. Uh, okay, they're, let, they're letting him run. So, I don't know. It's hit or miss with what you have to face the rest of the way, though. But that, that's something to, to certainly continue to keep an eye on. Yeah, Avery Johnson scares me. Yes, for sure. Uh, by the way, Quentin Lasseter is the ultimate closer, man. Last play of the game, just put him out there. He's going to make a play. Because <laughs> think about it. He's the one who makes the play on the Illinois interception. He makes the late interception against uh, Missouri State. Uh, Missouri State. He was the Which one like, who— like, obviously, that wasn't like a closing No, play, of but course. It was, you know. it was toward the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, then he he's the one who tipped the ball away on the, uh, the I guess, I don't know. It's hard to call it a Hail Mary when they're at, like, the 25-yard line. But you know what I mean, on the yeah. last play of the game by Oklahoma. Yeah. So he's just he just comes up in the clutch. He doesn't play. play a ton of snaps. He'll play, like, 5 to 12 snaps a game. But he's always in on the big one. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, special teams, part of the notebook here. Just way too many mistakes lately. This yeah. is going to be something that gets can. I mean, it, it kind of did against Oklahoma State. This is going to be something that gets them beat in a game down the stretch if they, if they don't shore it up and get it back to the levels that they were in the first whatever five six games. Yeah, it's wild that they were so good early in the season that we didn't even have to have a conversation really. Mm-hmm. But you're right, things have slipped for them, and uh, you know I don't know I don't know what's going on there. Hopefully they can get it figured out and be more successful. Uh, you know, Seth Keller is an accurate kicker and definitely is a reliable kicker, but we mentioned it. He seems to have a bit of a low trajectory on his kicks, and he doesn't really seem to have a lot of power to get the ball very far. Uh, so maybe that's where you utilize Owen P a little bit, uh, Owen Salt and Pepper, you know. Paper uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so uh, it, it it is a bit questionable. And even though Trevor Wilson dropped a kickoff, he had a good couple good returns still uh, beyond that. And Kenny Logan had a couple good returns also. So kind of a mixed bag there. Uh, and and you know I'm I'm willing to give a mulligan on the dropped kickoff because of the weather, so fine, whatever. I'm willing to I'm willing to I'm willing to let that one go, but yeah, you definitely want to tighten that up because you go back to last season and the K State game, OJ Burrows must have punt at the, at, the, at the three yard line, whatever, and that that sort of put K State you know you you basically spotted them a free seven points at that point after getting a stop. Uh, so yeah, you got to sure up your special teams because you don't you do not want that to be the reason why you can't win uh, some of these games down the stretch because you've you've got the offense, you've got the talent on offense, the defense has been playing well, you've got the ability on defense. Nothing is more frustrating than not being able to close the game out or being able to win a game because you have special teams issues. And that is something that scares you a little bit when you're playing like K State, right? Because we've seen them exploit the special teams. Okay, miscellaneous stuff in the notebook here. KU's bad at two-point conversions. Uh, 0 for 3 this game. <laughs> Technically, they, plays, they were either 0 for 2 or 0 for 3 against Oklahoma State. So they've missed six or seven in a row. All three of the plays they drew up last year. against Oklahoma were good plays, and they were open. Yes, they just missed them. So they're just poorly executed. All the stuff there. Uh, refs cannot get forward progress right whenever KU's playing Oklahoma. That was bad, too. Yeah. yeah. That was really bad. Um, our T-shirts at RCST are lucky. 
Did you see? Uh, the Tango Beta? Yeah, yeah. He wore the uh, RCST t-shirt. Yeah, I did see that. To the game. Okay. And KU beat Oklahoma. Okay. I did see Good that. Good luck to I didn't know that he wore it to the game. Yeah. But yeah, I saw that. There we go. Yeah. And then uh, last one I have here is Jalen Daniels warmed up. Uh, this is the weird part. The report from Brett McMurphy said he was available. Yeah, I yeah I actually but I don't believe that. I want to address this a little bit. Okay. Uh, I actually saw someone make this point uh, online about if Jalen Daniels' back was good enough for him to warm up and be on the sidelines in the cold, but he was never going to play. Then why is he that like you see what I'm saying like if you if you're not if yeah, you're not able to he's play good to play or he's not right yeah, it's like if you're not able to play then why is surely standing in the cold in rain on the sideline is not great for your back right so you see what I'm saying like either play or you know get off the field and get to where you can play I don't know but I mean I I think it's not that's not that surprising because KU kind of laid the foundation for this strategy going back to the Missouri State game. Where they're kind of basically pulling this thing where, you know, hey, uh, if if by Monday or Tuesday, you know, Jalen Daniels is not ready to, is is not fully ready, but he can be available by the by the end of the week, we're gonna go with Jason Bean because we wanna be able to implement a game plan throughout the week. Mm-hmm. Which listen, I actually think that makes sense because like I've I've talked about it on the show with Andy Kolnicki and the way he wants to scheme up his offense, I'm sure there's a ton of preparation that goes in that is involved early on in the week to set up the offense to be the most stressful offense in the in the country, which is what he wants it to be. So if you don't know who your starting quarterback is until later in the week, that severely limits that ability. So I actually, I kind of get it. Like, I kind of get where KU's coming from. It just looks weird, and it just, it's, it's a little off-putting. Uh, but I also sort of understand. So, I don't know. I mean... I guess, like I said, I mean, Jason Bean's going to be the starter until I see Jalen Daniels on the field, I guess. That's my assumption. Okay. Period. All right, that's our uh, KU Oklahoma Notebook. Matt Tate joins us in 15 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com. Matt, happy Halloween. And starting you off with a very difficult question. What is your favorite Halloween candy? Oh, um, that is a very difficult question. Oh, man. Um, I'm a chocolate guy, so it's got to be in the chocolate family. Um, I'm not crazy. I do like those little Twix. Um, those, I can definitely mow through those pretty easily. Um, what else would be in the running there? I, I know a lot of people are down on Snickers, and I don't understand that. I love it. So put that in there. Uh, and, of course, Reese's, you know, anything Reese's. That's probably the goat, right, of Halloween candy or candy period. So that's up there. I'm trying to think of a, a unique one, though, that, like, you might not expect. Those are all pretty pretty boring, pretty vanilla, um, even though they're chocolate. See what I did there? Um <laughs> So let me think. Give me one more second to think. Uh, okay, it's it, you know it's chocolate. It's not it's not too exciting. But I'm a big fan of um, anything like anything where you get your money's worth. So let's picture a mini package of peanut M and M's or even regular M and M's. Let's picture a mini package of Mike and Ike's. Like I feel like you know you eat, you take the little miniature Snickers and it's gone in literally one bite, right? right? And that's that's great, and it tastes good, and 
you know, load me up with those. Um, but if you have the bag of, and obviously it's small, so the mini part comes into play there. But but if you have the little mini M&Ms or peanut M&Ms or, or Mike and Ike's or hot tamales or whatever, like, you can get some mileage out of that. You could sit there and maybe even read a story at r1s1sports.com and go. through the whole thing. And, and uh, you know, so uh, to me, it's, it's the value maybe there that, that comes into play a little more. So I know that's probably more of an answer than you wanted. But, um, but what's yours? You, you, you've, got, you've got one if you're asking the question. I'm a Reese's guy through and through. Love yeah. a good Reese's. I actually I really like the Reese's pieces, the little M&M's. See, there you point go. That's on, what I was going to yeah. say. We can... We can we can come together on common ground there because that that's great. Those are delicious. Um, I don't mind milk duds. I don't like whoppers, and mm. I think a lot of people think they're the same, and they're not even close. But um, <laughs> tell them. But like, there's there's just you know tradition, right? The the, the little yellow box, the little uh, beige package. Um, I like six lips. I've always liked six lips. Those are I have no idea what that is. It's the little tiny just balls of chocolate and there's usually like for some reason there might be more than six you'd think it would be six in a little pack but um but there's probably like eight or 12 or something weird so those are good um so yeah i i I, i'm i'm fired up man i'm i'm uh i've got two daughters we're gonna hit the streets um and you know they'll uh they'll, they'll share with old dad here we'll have a good time and um you know that's that's but the problem is, man, we've still got Halloween candy from like two years ago sitting in the pantry. Like, wow. come on, right? Like, it just—that's your it's job as the dad to eat it, to eat whatever's yeah, left but, over. Well, you can guarantee what's not in there, right? Everything we just talked about. <laughs> so whatever's in there is total crap, and we should probably just throw it away. So um, yeah, no, but it's it's a uh, it's fun, man. I, I love I love I love it all. I love when people give out caramel apples, like. I don't know if that even happens anymore, but um, when I was a kid, I remember getting a caramel apple or a popcorn ball or, you know, random things like that. It's, it's, it was great. It was like, sure, throw it in here. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, if you had to compare every KU basketball player to a piece of candy. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I thought, you know, I knew you were kidding, but, I, but you know, in the summer, I might, I might give you that. Yeah. You might bring that one at me. So yeah, I'll be ready I might come it. back to that one for sure. I'll write that down <laughs> in a note. Nick, mark that. Uh, KU takes down Oklahoma on Saturday in football. Was that the biggest regular season win that you have ever covered in, in KU football's program? Or, I don't know. There, there's other ones that would go up there, certainly stuff during the Orange Bowl. But I I guess how, how impressive was what you saw on Saturday, especially when you compare it to some of the other KU football that you covered for a long time? Yeah, I, I mean, look, it was one of the most exciting and, and memorable and enjoyable experiences that I've ever had. I mean, they they a couple of reasons. They played a hell of a football game. They beat a damn good team, and and they did it in a fashion that shows that you know winning and getting out to five and zero and getting to six wins last year, winning and getting out to four and zero and 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 getting five wins entering that game this year. That stuff's not a fluke. This team has arrived. The Kansas football program is a legitimate football program again. And it, it, this might have been your tweet. I think it was, right? Like, aren't you excited to see them in the uh, CFP standings tonight? Wasn't that? Yeah. You? 
Yeah, man. Like, how cool is that? You know, and, and we've seen him in the BCS before, um, way back when, for a brief period, right? And that was cool. But, like, that's – I mean – there's a lot of teams that aren't going to show up tonight and Kansas is going to be in there and Kansas is going to belong in there. So you throw all that together. Um, and, and, and then all of the other things that go along with it, right. Ending the streak against Oklahoma, um, you know, bowl eligibility, becoming uh, a, a team that finally beat a top 10 team again. I mean, there's just a lot of things that, um, that go into that, that, that made that, so memorable and and you know i regular season games I, I mean i guess i could go back to the georgia tech win in 2010 after losing to north dakota state six to three at home in turner gill's debut you know they bounced back and they beat number 15 georgia tech the next week that was pretty cool like especially you know that was now 13 years ago so i was a younger man then and and i remember thinking wow this is fun they they beat a real team you know maybe they're okay so there was a lot to like about that but that was nothing compared to this i mean really truly nothing this is a rival this is a top 10 football team this is a team that had been crushing teams earlier this year um this was a team that was heading to the sec and you get one last chance to say good riddance and you did uh i mean there's just there's just nothing that compares to it i think it was absolutely the best regular season Kansas football game that I've ever covered. And, and you're right. I mean, there were some great ones in the Orange Bowl year um, and, and even the years around that. But I, I don't know, man. I mean, this was just – I'm not going to say it was unexpected because I think the, the line showed that it was possible. It was a single-digit line, and, um, you know, a lot of people were kind of feeling it. So it wasn't like totally out of nowhere, but – um, there was just something that, that was, it was like, it was like the culmination of this great buildup. Um, and, and then the whole thing, the, the top just came off and it just went wild. It, you know, the whole thing exploded and, and, um, there was a, a party and, you know, yeah, it was great, man. They deserve it. That's, that's the, the biggest thing I can think of is those kids, that program, that coaching staff, those fans, they deserve it. And, uh, that, that adds to it for sure. When you look back to the main reason why they came through with the win, the number one reason, the thing they did best, the reason that they, they ended up uh, having the celebration and fans storming the field, what was it that KU did so well uh, that they've culminated this season into that game that led to the victory for you? Yeah, it's easy to say they didn't quit, right? And Lance was really praising his team for their resilience and, and, and um, you know, how, how – tough-minded they are and how you know they fought that thing to the end because when being through the pick it was obviously it looked at, looked ugly there uh his second interception looked that's about it man it's over that was close too bad you know and then and then they just kept fighting on defense uh oklahoma helped them a little bit with that but but then they came back offense got one more crack at it so there's no doubt that you could say resilience um, but I won't. I, I, I don't think that's it for me. I think it's the complete opposite of that. I think, I think the reason they won that game is because they showed up and they decided they were going to let everybody know they were here to play. And they got the pick six to open the game, and that's game on right there. And then they got the 14 nothing lead, and that's game on right there. And it was like, hey, Oklahoma, you're going to have to deal with us today. And, and I think that Oklahoma knew what was at stake too, right? They're trying to get to the college football playoff. You can't take a playoff. You can't take a game off. You can't take a quarter off if you're in their shoes. And they knew that. And they, they showed up expecting and having that urgency that they needed to win. But, but KU, KU 
exceeded it. KU outplayed them in that sense, and KU, it meant more to Kansas. Um, and I think when that's the tone that's set, I think then that explains a lot of things, right? The offensive line was phenomenal. There's a reason. It meant more to them. They, they, they held their blocks longer. They pushed harder. They fought harder. They protected better. Uh, the running game was phenomenal. There's a reason. You know, Daniel Hyshaw and Devin Neal wanted that game. And, and so all those things are a product of, of, of that idea that, that they showed up and, and they were ready to take advantage of this opportunity that, frankly, they haven't had very many of. And I don't know when you'll get many more like that. I mean, that was a really unique um, setting and opportunity, and, and they elevated themselves in their game to, to match it and seize it. And what a performance. It was unbelievable. They played so well. And like I said earlier, they deserved every bit of that. Well, over to basketball, exhibition number two tomorrow night. We saw the Illinois game for the first exhibition. Uh, what are you most looking to see out of, out of the team in game two after what we did see in uh, game one against the Fighting Illini? Yeah, you know, I, I think that I, I think that there's so much talent on this roster, and, and they're preseason number one, and everyone knows what the expectations are because they're the same at Kansas every year. So I, I, I'm eager to see um, – do these guys look comfortable with that? Not not just the expectations, but with each other and, you know, anybody, Coach Self, whoever, anyone that's been around this program and, and probably a lot of college programs will tell you that, you know, this is something that takes time. This is something that you're not truly a team until you get into January and things happen and you go through some stuff. Self says that one every year. He'll say it again and at some point this year. And, and so, you know, I, I – these guys are close. They had the Puerto Rico experience. Um, guys like Hunter Dickinson, Nick Timberlake, um, Jamari McDowell, all these new guys, right? They, they, they came in and they were talking right away. Like, it feels like we've known each other forever. It feels like we've been together forever. And so I think, you know, that's great. And that's what you want. And that's why you take those summer trips and things like that. But now it needs to show up on the court. And, and so I think that when will we see that? Will we see that? Tomorrow night, um, maybe, you know, um, will we see it when, when, they, when they open against, who is it, North Carolina Central, something like that in, in a week? You know, I mean, will we see it before they go to Chicago and play Kentucky? I mean, you know, the, the, the obvious hope for them is that you do because you don't want to be trying to find it there. But it does take time, and I think they have a jump start on it. But that's what I want to see more than anything because every team is different. And, and you know, you got to remember, right, like – you're coming off of a, a season where you had a guy like Jalen Wilson, who was your leader, unquestioned. He had seen and done and been through and been with so many guys that, that made Kansas basketball what it was the last three, four years before that. So same with the guys before him. And, and you know, so when you lose those guys to graduation or the NBA or whatever, you know, you lose a bit of that and you got to find it again and you got to get it somewhere. And so they've got plenty of guys with Dewan and KJ and, and Kevin McCuller. They've got plenty of guys that know what that's about and, and they can carry that torch and they can, they can be those leaders, but you know, it, it needs to show up in sort of that continuity and, and the chemistry and everybody just feeling good and, and feeling like, Hey, okay, this is the Kansas basketball team for this season. Let's go. And so I'm eager to see if that shows up. Um, I would imagine Coach Self has their attention at practice today, just based largely on the way the thing went at Illinois. And, and I would imagine these guys want to show up and put on a show 
and and you know show the home crowd like okay yeah that that number one ranking that we 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 earned that we're that's real we we deserve it so watch this and so you know it won't be easy it won't be perfect they'll be pushed um but but you know how how comfortable do they look that's what i'm most excited to see all right, he is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work, r1s1sports.com. Matt, uh, what should people be checking out right now online? Oh, man, let's see. Good question. We've got uh, we, some of those freelance stories from people that write for us have been coming in. There's a cool golf story up right now. There's a swimming story about a couple of uh, international students who are trying to compete in the Olympics for their their uh, parents' home country. Um, there's there's some cool stuff with that that we're going to post here sometime this week. Um, of course, there's a ton of reaction to that Oklahoma win. If you didn't get to see it all, um, that's worth coming and checking out right away. Just because uh, I couldn't stop writing that night. You know, uh, left the stadium, went and had dinner with my family. One of which you just heard on the radio briefly there, uh, <laughs> and uh, and then they went to bed, and I spent the next four or five hours writing. So. There's a lot of uh, KUOU content up there. And uh, and then we talked to Nick Timberlake today, too. Um, he told a pretty fun story about his uh, first ever college game back when he was a freshman. And uh, so I'm just trying to compare that a little to what he'll experience tomorrow night. Obviously very different. Allen Fieldhouse is a one-off, uh, one-of-one type of place. So, you know, he's in for a, a treat tomorrow night, and we talked a little bit about that. But um, but he's got some experience in, in similar situations. So, um, yeah, man, it's on, right? Basketball, football, uh, volleyball. Uh, I know I say it every week, and I'm going to keep saying it. They are so good, and they are so hot. And K-State's coming to town this week uh, for two games, and, and those will be massive. So, um, big stuff. It's It's a fun time of the year. All right, he's Matt Tate, r1s1sports.com. Matt, appreciate the time, man. Happy Halloween. Yeah, thanks, man. You guys enjoy, and uh, happy Reese's hunting. I hope it all <laughs> just lands on your door, man. If not, let me know, and I'll, I'll dig through the bag here and, and see what I can get for you. <laughs> there we go. Appreciate it. Again, Matt Tate, check out his work, r1s1sports.com. One hour down, two to go. We got uh, NFL Week 8 recap next. We got our NFL Week 8 recap coming at you here on Rock Shock Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Happy Halloween to everybody out there. Uh, if you're new to this, we have some different superlatives, different topics that we get to around what happened in the NFL over the weekend, and we start right here. The biggest surprise. What was the biggest surprise for you in Week 8 of the NFL season? I think the biggest surprise was probably the Panthers winning against the Texans. Uh, I mean, it felt like the whole... That dichotomy between C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young is that Bryce Young sucks and C.J. Stroud's really good, and the Texans were 3-3, three and three, I think, going into that game and legitimately could make a case for making a push for the AFC South and maybe even making the playoffs, and then they go and, and Bryce Young beats them. So uh, that was pretty surprising. I would not have guessed that at all. I would have picked, I would have picked Houston 100 times out of 100 to win the game, and... Uh, I would have been wrong 100 times out of 100, mm. obviously. I mean, the so. spread was only like three points. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, Houston obviously is not like a great team, so I don't think it should be that shocking, but I, I thought Carolina was like dead. Mm -hmm. Like really, like I thought they had just folded. So I think uh, my surprise might almost be how bad the Chiefs looked. Like it, 
if, if they lost to see, Denver, it, the, the Chiefs they were probably going to lose that game. But here's the thing. Well, I shouldn't say that. The I, Chiefs I, I losing to Denver on its own is a surprise nationally. Sure. Even if you expected it nationally, it was a surprise. But we okay. do know there are the weird Andy Reid games. Usually, it doesn't look that bad though. Twenty-four to nine. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes had the flu, so like, nah. I I honestly, I'm over the Chiefs' loss. I don't I don't care. I'm just saying it was surprising <clears throat> in how it happened. It was surprising. Yes, I'll give you that. Will Levis would be the other one. How good yeah. he looked in his first start. Yeah, that 19 was 19 of 29, 238 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. I was really impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Could have had DeAndre Hopkins in Kansas City. Instead, he's balling out with Will Levis. Who would have thought? 11 rushing yards. Yeah. Dude, I'm so mad because my <laughs> part of my take that the Titans are terrible was predicated on Ryan Tannehill continuing to be quarterback. So if Will Levis ends up being kind of good, they're going to end up being probably pretty decent. But see, the irony in that is I kept telling you Ryan Tannehill is like the worst quarterback in the NFL at this point. You kept arguing against it. What's up with that? You're just a heel. You're just playing the bad guy. (laughs) I just don't like the Titans, and I think they're bad. I don't know. I like Mike Vrabel, but I don't like the Titans. It might be good. I know. That's the problem. What's your uh, biggest disappointment? Dude, biggest disappointment? I mean... Chiefs? (laughs) Chiefs were disappointing, but again, I, 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 I can't say that because I almost expected it. I mean, I didn't expect I didn't expect them to lose, but I expected them to play bad and it be an ugly game, <laughs> which that did happen. Uh, now, okay, biggest disappointment. I'll go with the Giants choking away the game against the Jets. I can't get over that. I literally can't get over it. Talked about it yesterday, but Brian Dable, that was the stupidest decision of all time. But can you be biggest so disappointment if you're having to play Tommy DeVito at quarterback? <laughs> they had negative or, or was they it negative? negative passing yards? Yeah, they had negative yeah. passing yards. The team was it like negative nine? Yeah, and they almost won. Tommy DeVito was like what? Two I'm just for disappointed seven for in like Brian one yard. He was supposed to be like a decent coach, and he just sucks. <laughs> so your biggest disappointment is just Brian Dable. Brian Dable specifically. Okay. Yeah. And him being dumb at the end of the game. Okay, I have I have two here. One of them is the Bears. Now the game itself. The Bears are bad. You lose to the of course the, you lose to the Chargers on the road. Like whatever, it's not a big of a deal. But you lost by 17, so there's reason. And it was also 30 to seven going into the fourth quarter. So there's reason to be like, okay, they're bad, but they played an even worse game than how bad they are. But the bigger reason for me is what happened today. They traded a second-round pick for Montez Sweat, and Montez Sweat is a really good pass rusher, and the Bears' pass rush stinks. Did they get better? Yes. What is your goal here? You're 2-6. and six. Remember last year when they traded a second-round pick to get Chase Claypool? <coughs> Disaster. Yeah. Now, Montez Sweat is way better than Chase Claypool. So, like, it's different. But guess what? Montez Sweat is a free agent at the end of the season. Yeah. What are they doing? Yeah. That's going to be a high second-round draft pick. I mean, basically a first. If they're three and five, it doesn't look that bad, I don't think. I mean, one Even then, I I wouldn't suggest it, but two and six in a division where your division winner is six and two. Well, think about it. They're two and six. The Commanders are three and five and have looked much more competitive. Yeah. They're selling exactly like crazy. I don't understand this at all from the basically the Bears have cornered themselves in that if they don't re-sign Montez Sweat, you're kind of screwed. It's a bad trade. And you could make the argument him. then if this all comes down to if you were going to sign him or not in the offseason, why wouldn't you just let him go wherever he was going to go via trade and then try to sign him then? <laughs> and not have to give up one of your high second round picks. Yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, Ryan Poles the, might be working back in the Chiefs front office in a couple of years. 
That's all I'm going to say. Uh, the Packers, though, would be the one on the field. Packers Remember when we bad. thought the Packers were kind of decent? Yeah, I think I thought they're they were bad. decent. They're 2-5. No, they're just not good. Jordan Love's not good. Yeah, Jordan Love stinks. Yeah. Best ho-hum win? Uh, I'll go with the Baltimore Ravens here. Playing the Cardinals. Kept them at arm's length basically the whole game. Score looked closer uh, than it, it was. Yeah. Yeah, just really ho-hum. Because it was 31-15. to Cardinals got a touchdown to make it 31-21. And then they got like... Massive spread yeah, drama in the game. Late though. field goal. I don't know if you saw. It, the the Ravens were 9.5 point favorites. Yes. And here come the Cardinals to kick a last-second field goal before they try an onside kick to cover the spread. So yeah, I'll go. With, I'll go with Ravens. They were they were the better team throughout. Uh, it was just kind of you know whatever. You're playing the Cardinals. Take care of business. Whatever. Mm. Oh ho. I think that's a good one. I could almost go with the Bengals. It felt like they led the entire way with the 49ers, but because of how big of a win that was, I'm not going to pick them. I could also almost go with the Cowboys, but. I don't know. Like I feel like that's just more dominant. Is, though. That's that's just blowing them out. Right? Yeah, ho hum is more like yeah. you 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 kept them at arm's length. You didn't really blow them out, but you you comfortably won the game. From that standpoint, I'm going to go with Jacksonville Jaguars. That's a good one. Twenty to ten over the Steelers. Steelers. Have it been, never really felt like the Steelers were going to. Never really felt like the Steelers had a chance <laughs> to win the game. And part of that was Kenny Pickett got hurt. Mitch Trubisky comes in. So that like not that Pickett's been great, but. You know, it, it's at least a little more hopeful there than with uh, Mitch Trubisky. But yeah, it never really felt like the Jags had a chance to lose the game. They didn't play a great game, but you know, you you win on the road against the Steelers team who's been, yeah. you know, decent. Been the weather solid. was kind of bad. Yeah, and you're a Jackson. You know, you're you're a fair weather team in Jacksonville, so you handled that. Yeah. Meanwhile, low key, they're six and two. Yeah. Jags are good, very good. Uh, week two MVP on offense and defense. Week two MVP on offense is Devontae Adams, the real quarterback. Uh, he would have had, he would have had a 98-yard touchdown and a 70-yard touchdown uh, if a real quarterback could throw him the ball. So shout out Devontae Adams, you're the MVP mm-hmm. hypothetically if you had a real quarterback. What would his stats look like if he were on the Chiefs? Because this is fun. To your point, he had one catch for 11 yards against the Lions. Yeah, dude, I traded him away in my fantasy league. Genius. I'm so smart. But what would his stats look like if he were on the Chiefs? Probably pretty good. He'd have 2,000 yards. <laughs> Probably pretty. I mean. I guess, let's put it this way. Would Devontae Adams right now be putting up like stats equivalent to Tyreek Hill when he was on the Chiefs? Or would he be doing yes, better or Yes, I think or equivalent. Worse? Not equivalent to what Tyreek Hill's doing right now on the Dolphins, but equivalent to what he was doing yes. on the Chiefs, yes. That, yeah, that's that's yeah. my question. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. For sure. Uh, my offensive MVP, I'm going to go C.D. Lamb. He had 12 catches for 152 yards and a touchdown. And a majority of that, I, at one point in the second quarter, I was looking, and he, I don't know what he had at halftime exactly, but at one point in the second quarter, he had seven catches for over 100 yards and a touchdown. If that was a closer game or the, the Rams were actually like scoring to keep up, he could have had a billion yards. They could not stop him. C.D. Lamb was unstoppable. <laughs> Cowboys blew him out. My defensive MVP is Jeffrey Simmons. Simmons had uh, six tackles, two sacks, forced fumble. Titans beat the Falcons, which we already talked about. That's a big win for the Titans because it probably kept them from selling at the trade deadline outside of already giving up Bayard from earlier in the week. Um, it also, you know, kind of gets them back in, I don't know, some sort of striking distance for the wild card. I, I don't think they're going to make it because there's so many good teams in the AFC. Uh, but for the Falcons, you, you beat a division winner. So Jeffrey Simmons is defensive MVP. Yeah, the, the Falcons, man, again, circling back. I needed the Falcons to win for my brand for the Titans, and it just didn't happen. What is your, your, I think they're good? I think they're good. Well, I know they're good. Bangles. But Bengals you've already been saying I think they're I've good. I've been saying they're back for a while, yeah. So I don't think you can pick them. Okay, you want me to go with a different one? Yeah. Well, 
dude, honestly, this week there wasn't really a lot of good options. I mean, you can pick uh, a player. I mean, I'll go with the uh, because uh, I don't think the Titans are good. Do you think Will Levis is good? I think Will Levis might be decent. I don't think he'll be really good. Are the Broncos good? No. Well, <laughs> I don't think so. I'd have to look at their schedule. I don't think they're that good, no. No, 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 no. The Broncos are playing the Bills, Vikings, and Browns their next three games. One and two? Oh, and three. Well, I guess, I yeah, Josh Dobbs. Josh I'll Dobbs be will beat. Josh Dobbs will beat Russell Wilson. If they go two and one there. They're not going to go two and one. If they go two and one, that'd be good. So Bills, Vikings, Browns. Then after that, Texans, Chargers, Lions. Dude, by the way, these are the last three games of the year for the, the Broncos. Patriots, Chargers, at Raiders. They could go 3-0. Dude, they might be. They might no, be low key No, playoff no, they're gonna go six <laughs> they and might eleven. Be good. No, they're gonna win six games. Okay, they're not good. In fact, I think they're. I think they stink. Mm-hmm. I think they're bad. Uh, I mean, I think the Ravens look really good. To begin, you're picking very good. Everybody knew the, the Ravens Lions were will be good. good. I think the Lions are really good. You're unbelievable. I think the Chiefs are good. The Chiefs uh, are good. <laughs> I think the Seahawks are really good. Like, not just good. I think the Seahawks are really good. Got a lot of weapons. Good coach from Pete Carroll. Defense has been really good. Pass rush has been really good. You find a way to beat the Browns. They're 5-2. and two. Got a tough place to play at home. I mean, that's a disaster for the rest of the NFC because you're, that means, dude, I can already picture it now. The Cowboys are going to have to play, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, somebody really good or the Niners. Yeah. Or be, the Niners are going to have to play somebody. That somebody's going to have to play the Niners because the Seahawks are going to win the NFC West. That would be crazy. By the way, I think Bryce Young's good. There's another. I think they're good. Yeah, you've been on that one. I have been. You've been on that one. Yeah. But now you just finally have some evidence to support exactly. it. Exactly. Instead of just blindly saying, I think he's good. All right, what's your I sucks. think they suck? Oh, man. There's, there's, there's a lot of good options here. Uh, I think the Giants suck. I think the Patriots suck. I think Jordan Love sucks. I think Jordan Did I Love pick that already, though? is bad. I'm going to pick that the past week. Uh, I think I'm finally there with the Rams. I was holding out for a while because they would they would beat all the bad teams. They would lose to all the good teams. And it was like, okay, well, what happens when they play like a fine, not great team? But now they're losing to those. Like you lose yeah, to the they, Steelers yeah, they seem, at home. Yeah, they seem like they might suck. I think they kind of suck. All they had to do was beat the Bengals, man. Like, I don't think they're, they're not as bad as like the Bears and, and some of those teams. But they, 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 or a bottom 10, probably team. Bottom 12 team, for sure. Like, they're in the 20s somewhere and where they are. What is your uh, top three, bottom three? All right, well, I can't go Chiefs, Chiefs, and Chiefs anymore because the Chiefs stink. So, I'll go Eagles 1, Dolphins 2, Bengals 3. I'm going to go Eagles 1, Ravens 2, Detroit Lions 3. Mm. Wow. And my bottom three, I'll go 30 New York Giants. If Terod Taylor wasn't hurt, I would not have him in this bottom three, but he is. Tommy DeVito, Tommy DeStinko. 31 is Arizona. You're going to need to workshop Tommy DeStinko. <laughs> Tommy <laughs> DeFito. Going to need to go back into the... What that? Tommy go back, DeFito. Go back in the lab on that one. And 32 is still the Panthers, even after the win. <laughs> Although, actually, now that they traded... Jo- well... I don't know. Traded Josh Dobbs. Yeah, Clayton that might Toon. put the Cardinals. Might put the Cardinals last. But then again, yeah. Tyler Murray's coming back at some point. Allegedly. And once he comes back, I won't even have him in the bottom three. Oh, wow. You think Kyler Murray's that good? I don't think he's good enough that like I'm putting him in like the top 
20 or anything, but like, is he enough to make them not a bottom three team in the NFL? Yeah. Wow. 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 Do you have a bottom three? Oh, bottom three is Chiefs, Chiefs, and Chiefs. Wow. Followed by Giants, uh, Panthers, and I'm going to put the Raiders last. <laughs> okay. I like that, even though they have three wins. No, uh, screw the Raiders. We got a uh, fun trick or treat segment coming up next. Kevin Flaherty joins us after that. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show in less than 20 minutes from right now. We talk a little more KU football, Big 12 football and basketball on RCST. Right now, though, it is Halloween. We're going to do a trick or treat segment. Uh, so we're going to go over some stats. Okay. KU football, KU basketball. And we're going to discuss if we think it's a trick or a treat, mm. meaning if it's a treat. Yeah. If it's, it's like for real. And if it's, it's for a trick, real, maybe it's, it's a bit fluky. Yeah. If it's a trick, then yeah. Yeah. Something's wrong with it. Mm. Uh, first up, Pro Football Focus ranks Kansas as ninth in the country in receiving grade. Mm. Are you buying this? I think this is a treat, man. I think this is a treat. I mean, we, we talked about it earlier in the show. The, the wide receivers, although, although when you look at the box score, it's you're not blown away by it, but you go and watch the game, and these guys are making impactful plays time and time again. Lawrence Arnold was very, very impactful. Luke Grimm had a couple of huge catches. Uh, uh, Quentin Skinner had a, that great catch and, and was effective as well. And and there's been games earlier in the season as well. Same deal. I mean, you go back to the uh, – was it uh, – oh, gosh, uh, not UCF. Who, who was the home game before UCF? Um, uh, BYU? B- yeah, was it the BYU game where Luke Grimm had two catches for two touchdowns? Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, so – Things like that. So they've, they've been efficient, they've been effective, and they have been really, really quality when called upon. Uh, I think this is a treat. And also, underrated part of this is they've also been pretty good at blocking, really, uh, in the run game as well. So I think this is a treat. The K-wide receivers have been really, really good when needed. And again, it, it's not flashy, so it doesn't necessarily jump out at you. But uh, when they've when when they've when when the call has been made, they've answered it and, and been really, really clutch in, in key moments for KU. So... I think this is a treat. I think KU's got a really, really quality stable of receivers that have shown that time and time again, when KU needs a play, they can make it happen on the outside and in a lot of different forms also. It's just crazy how balanced it is. Lawrence Arnold's your leader in receptions, 28, which would put him on pace uh, at the end of the regular season to have for like, like 42. Yeah. He has 403 receiving yards, put him on pace for like 605, and one touchdown. And uh, your leader in in receiving touchdowns is Luke Grimm with three. You have six receivers who have 10 or more catches. You have four receivers who have 19 or more. You have four receivers with 260 or more receiving yards. Five with 170 or more. It's just, it's so balanced that it's hard for one guy. And it's not like they're throwing it like every play either. Like they've thrown the ball uh, 202 times this year. You compare that to like some of the other teams that are in the Big 12 that are either, you know, running a ton of plays or are just throwing it a good amount. Yeah. And it's harder to have some of the big numbers. Like, for instance, Dylan Gabriel this season has thrown the ball 252 times. So if you're throwing the ball 50 more times, that's a lot more receptions to go around, right? And then with all the balance that they have, it's just it's tough for some guy to step up. So, yes, you might look at the box score. You might look at the team and be like, ah, Kansas doesn't really have a, you know, dynamic receiving core. They do. They do. They have a bunch of guys that make plays and yeah. make plays in key moments. And beyond that, so I am buying with this. Jason Bean at quarterback, you know, different guys different guys have different strengths, right? You know, Trevor Wilson obviously has been a bit of a, a, bit of a revelation with Jason Bean at quarterback. So 
you're seeing even more of the depth just because of the, you see guys with different different chemistry that works out well for Kansas as well. Yes. So I, I'm I'm uh, saying it's a treat. What about this number? KU is giving up 28.1 points per game on defense, mm. which is about touchdown better than they give up last year. Yeah. So what? So that's two touchdowns better than 2020, right? Yeah. 2021. Just keep improving by a touchdown. <laughs> Four years from now, nobody's scoring a point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think this is more treat than trick, uh, and I think especially the other. The other logic behind this for me is you look at KU, the rest of KU's schedule, Iowa State's offense is by no means elite. Kansas State's offense seems to have found a rhythm, and that could be a tough game for the KU defense. But Texas Tech, I mean, who knows with their situation with quarterback and whatnot, and, and Cincinnati's been one of the worst offenses in the Big 12. So I think this is a treat by virtue of the fact that I don't see a lot of teams on this upcoming schedule for KU that are going to score a lot of points. Like, I mean, would it shock you if three out of the four opponents for KU to end the season score under 30 points? Would that surprise no, you? No, no. K-State's the one where their offense is really exactly. good, so that one yeah. would be tough. But, like, That's Iowa the State, they don't have a great offense. They don't offense. blow you away, right? right? Rocco doesn't Rocco doesn't do anything crazy. No. And they, and they have scored 30 or more in, in three of their five Big 12 games. So now like that... They, that, I think, is a trick. Which I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a trick, too. To your point, they are 11th in rushing yards per play, 11th in passing yards per play, 13th in yards per play. I think some of it, they just get a bunch of interceptions and it helps. Their last the three conference games have been TCU at home and Cincinnati and Baylor. So, you know, two yeah, of the worst helpful. teams in the conference and then TCU, a team that is is a bit uh, up and down. Yes. Uh, but anyway, on Kansas, like, I no, I... I I don't know that it's like a treat. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, the same way. A little above this. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, I don't think it's a trick, but I don't think it's fully a treat. But, but again, the reason I'm leaning more treat here is because I, I do think legitimately that there's a possibility that three out of the last four yeah. opponents for KU don't score 30 points. Okay, but if I frame it this way, I think it is. It's, it's almost not enough of a treat. Kansas at 28.1 points allowed per game. That is 88th in the country. I think they are. I'm not saying they're a top 50 defense necessarily. I think they're better than 88th. Mm. I think some of it, we, we were talking with Kent Swanson last Friday, and I thought he brought up a good point that um, some of that is schematic, that it's like Brian Borland defensively, part of his idea and mantra is to be more of a bend but don't break. We're going to give up some yards between the 20s. We're going to try to stop you in the 20s. Now, the irony is that KU was last <laughs> in the Big 12 in, in uh, amount of or. or Amount so, of trips that result in scores is ninety seven percent right now. Okay, because Oklahoma did they not score on a trip this past? Yeah, year? there was one that they didn't score. Okay, so it's a ninety seven percent, which is is last in the Big Twelve in, in teams scoring there. Probably bottom in so, the country too. Yes, but I think it's I think it's it's maybe not like you think about it just giving up yards to the twenties. It's maybe giving up a lot of yards to the forty or something like that for KU. Um, and when you look at the defensive side of the ball, like. I don't know. Like they've done so much in terms of turnovers and making key plays that this is better than the 88th. And and they've come up with key stops late in games that they're better than the 88th defense. So from that standpoint, it is uh, kind of a treat. Uh, staying on the defensive side of the ball, Kenny Logan has 55 tackles. No one else has more than 39. Man, you would not think this, right? But you look at some of the games he's had. The Nevada game, he had double-digit tackles, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, he was coming up making a lot of tackles uh, in this past game against Oklahoma as well, or being active near the line of scrimmage. Ah, man. So, okay, let's frame this for a second. You go back to, what was it, 2021, where he led the team in tackles, and that was viewed positively for him. 
and he gets first team all big or yeah, all big twelve preseason last year, and then kind of dips a little bit. Now he's back to having a lot of tackles. Normally, when you take these, have a lot of tackles, it's emblematic of maybe the rest of the defense is not that great. I don't. I'm not buying that in this particular case. I think Kenny Logan's just being more active. I think he's being more of what KU needs him to be. Uh, so I'll go treat here. I think this is a positive for for Kenny Logan, and I think it's it's a positive for Kenny Logan, and it's not a negative for the defense as a whole. I'm I'll go with the I'll get a little treat here. I'm going to give this a treat, too. I think you saw the impact of it in the Oklahoma game, and we're seeing more this year. It's not just a product of the guys at the front two levels are not good, so he has yeah, to make the tackle. More like I feel like it's more Kenny He's being more aggressive. He's making a lot of plays. Yeah, yeah he being is. more aggressive. So, yeah, I, I'm buying this as a treat as well. Uh, KU has three defensive touchdowns. Trick or treat. <sighs> So I think this is actually this both. This is a trick. It's but a trick that I don't think you can expect a lot of defensive touch. I mean, if you have two defensive touchdowns sometimes. I remember we were looking at that stat like before the year started. Yeah, it was like if you have like two It was like for a whole the top like 10 or 20 or something like that. You know? So I don't know that you can expect anymore because it's a hard one to get. But I think it's also a treat because I, I think it's real when you look at what KU does. Like their yeah. corners are ball They're hawks. definitely opt- opportunistic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kobe Bryant is the guy that's looking to make plays. Melo obviously making a big play this this past past game against Oklahoma. So, and then you throw in the, you know a guy like J.B. Brown, who you love, who can come in and knock the ball out. Marvin Grant is a is a battering ram in a lot of cases. So you see guys that are opportunistic that can set you up to make plays that could lead to defensive touchdowns. So I I think I kind of agree with you there. It it's it could be a treat, but. Am I expecting KU? So let's see. They've got three through eight games. So what? Basically, they should probably be getting one more in their last four. Was, yeah, one every two games. So that would uh, almost more. one every two games. Basically, you'd say two more between the next four in the bowl. Yeah, would be about which average. like I would take the I under on that. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. You convince me, maybe one more. I mean, Rocco could stuff. easily give you one against Iowa State. I think, and Emory Jones could give you one against Cincinnati. But yeah, I think you'd still take the under on that. So yeah, I don't know. Somewhere in the middle on this one. Okay. Uh, KU is second in the Big 12 in third down conversion rate offensively. Yeah, this is definitely a trick. I think this is a trick. You think it's a trick? I think it's a trick. That they're worse? I think they're worse. Mm. So last year they were first, right? Yes. This comes down to me the health of of Jalen Daniels. Uh, That's fair. That's fair. Because I think I think, I think that number is boosted by Jalen. When you have Jason Bean, I'm not saying they're a bad third down offense because you still have Kotelnicki and all these weapons, and Bean's good enough. But I think realistically with Bean, they probably, if he was the guy the whole way through, they might be closer to like fifth to seventh in the league in third down rate. And Jalen helped boost that up. With Jalen, I would say it's a treat. Okay. Well, Jalen could come back. Could. So maybe it's somewhere in the middle again. I don't know. I'll say treat, though, just because I think with Andy Kolnicki, with the ground game you have if you're Kansas, I, I think that they are definitely one of the better Third down teams in the league, with or without Jalen Daniels. All right, I got last one. Basketball. Hunter Dickinson going for twenty-two points and nine oh, rebounds against dude, Illinois. Why do you? Why do you do this? Why, why do you? Why do you do this, dude? I don't know, man. I don't, I mean, I I think it's a I think it's a treat, but like I think he's gonna keep doing that more. I think he's gonna have a lot of those other games. More I think efficient. it is a trick. Because it's it's twenty two points on twenty shots. Okay, timeout. Over the mm-hmm. summer, we were talking about this dude averaging twenty two and nine. Were we not? Yeah. So then it's a treat. Well, I think no, I I agree. Like it's it's a treat because he's probably going to do this a lot. The more. problem is is it's a trick in that, that you have game. to add the context of how efficient is he. 
That's what I'm saying. In that specific game, it's a trick because the trick is that 22 and 9 was dominant. I mean, he was 9 and 20 and from the field. And he, yes. and he looked, it was a very, like, it was a very average 22 yes. and 9. <laughs> the most average 22 the and 9. The most average 22 and 9 yeah. possible. But I think long term, it's a treat because I think you'll see plenty of other games like that. Except yeah, I, better yeah, efficiency. I I, dude, I, I don't know. I can't figure out this KU basketball team right now. Remember all the KU fans that would get mad when Jalen Wilson would take like 16 shots in a game and score like 22 <laughs> points? Yeah, where are you now? Yeah. When Hunter Dickinson does that every night. That's right. Where are you? All right, Kevin Flair. Show your face. 24-7 Sports joins us next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. We're joined by Kevin Flaherty here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. Kevin, before we get into the nitty-gritty, what is your favorite Halloween candy? Oh, gosh. That's, <laughs> a, that, that's a brutal question. That's like trying that, to that could be considered the nitty-gritty between their children, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I, uh, I certainly have a favorite. Nick, do you have a favorite? Yeah, dude. Uh, Kit Kat, Crunch okay. Bars... Uh, See, but that's know. picking multiple. You have to pick one. I, I, I mean, I, I was gonna. That's what I'm saying. It's tough to just pick one. I mean, I, I love Snickers. I, uh, I love the uh, the Reese's, um, Reese's peanut butter cups or okay. the pieces. Either way, either way is is fantastic. And you know, I, I'm not gonna fight over a, a Kit Kat or you know a Nestle Crunch Bar or whatever. I will say the most controversial Halloween candy, of course, is candy corn. Yes. And I am one of those people that does enjoy candy corn. Mm. So. Okay, mm. there we go. We find, you, you think you know a guy. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, uh, so KU beats Oklahoma on Saturday in football. What do you think this does for KU as a program overall, not just this season, but you know, holistically? Yeah, I think it's huge because – for one thing, you had, you know, some pretty big time recruits on hand, but even beyond that, you know, it, it's funny because I, I know you guys talked to Michael Swain, you know, my, my colleague over at, at fog.net. And one of the things that we had kind of talked about was whenever you're on something like a big noon Saturday or a college game day, it essentially becomes a long commercial for your program. And the problem is, is after, you know, you have that commercial, People want to watch you play, and if you come out and and you don't play well, then you know that a lot of that is undone. But for Kansas to come out, you know, on a big noon Saturday to get the viewership that they were able to get, and then come out with that win, uh, I think it, it's also one of those things that that kind of establishes Kansas as not just you know sort of a, a feel good story, right? Because it's one thing when you're beating the team that, you know, people feel like you should be beating. And let's just have a moment of silence for the fact that there are teams out there that people believe that Kansas should be beating because a couple of years ago that was not the case. But at the same time, to come out and beat a team that's top 10 ranked, that, you know, has pole position for one of the college football playoff spots potentially heading into that game, if they were to win out, I think we would all say that, that Oklahoma would probably reach that college football playoff to come out and win that game and do so the way that they did, you know, where they had adversity. It was a back-and-forth game. It was the sort of thing where you had to make big plays with everybody sort of biting their fingernails. I think all of those things went into making it a really positive day. Like you said, not just for this year, but 
But moving forward, you know, this is the sort of thing that you put in your media guides. It's the sort of thing that you send out to your recruits, and it's the sort of thing that, you know, three years from now, people are still going to look back and remember that throw that Jason Bean had on fourth and six. Do you think a win like this would make it more or less likely that Lance Leipold sticks around in Lawrence for, uh, I don't know, quite some time, I guess? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm not the person to ask about stuff like that. I, I think Lance Leipold would be. But I, I do think, and I, I've said this on the show before, I think Lance Leipold is a guy who is where his feet are. And that doesn't mean he's not going to go somewhere else. It doesn't mean that he's going to be at Kansas forever. I just think, you know, as much as everybody is going to, you know, give him the buzz as far as, hey, there's a coaching opening here hey, we see this job as potentially being better than Kansas, you know, Lance Leipold is a candidate. As much as there's all of that, I, I think we've all seen that Lance Leipold is the guy who's who's focused on having a good practice on Tuesday and then following that up with a good practice on Wednesday. And so I don't really think that that's a, a consideration or a, or a long-term consideration. Obviously, it's the sort of thing that, you know, could draw the attention of somebody that is maybe on the line that, that thinks, hey, we really like this guy, you know, but what's, you know, what's his feeling as a coach? And then you see Kansas beat Oklahoma. But at the same time, you know, it, it's so tough to, to put a value or a figure to that. Like I said, I, I think Lance Leipold is probably sitting in his office right now, you know, thinking about how to beat Iowa State. I don't know that that's a big consideration at this point. Well, Kansas takes on Iowa State on Saturday. I, I kind of feel like there's uh, what's working against KU is the idea that you have that kind of letdown after coming off a win like this. We've seen that so often in in collegiate athletics, and, and when a team pulls an upset like that. Uh, but j- just in terms of the on the field stuff, the the X's nose or the matchup, all that sort of stuff. How do you see Kansas matching up with Iowa State? Yeah, it's a brutal matchup, and I'm not saying that Kansas is going to lose. I'm saying that Iowa State is a really tough team to play, and that's before you factor in playing a night game in eights, which is a very difficult situation and place to win at. I think when you look back at last year's game and even before that, I think Iowa State's defensive system is the kind of system that is giving Kansas's offense you know, issues. You think about last year, you know, Kansas kind of went down and scored 14 points and, you know, then, you know, struggled. And there were a few shots there that that they missed on and things that could have changed that game. But I do think it's a situation where Iowa State system, for whatever reason, is really, really tough. Their, their defense is very difficult for most teams, and it's difficult for Kansas to, to move the ball. John Haycock is a, a tremendous defensive coach, and even, you know, even beyond what he's done within the Big 12, you know, I think we've talked about this before, you know, NFL coaches have come to Ames, and you know, Brent Venables talked about when he was at Clemson, switching up his system to be more like Haycox when he was at Clemson because he could see that while they were having success at Clemson, you know, Haycox thing was was kind of the wave of the, the future at that point, if you will. And so I think on the field, it's the sort of thing where Kansas can't start slow. Kansas can't have some of the issues that that have plagued it on the road so far this year where, you know, they've lacked a certain element of, of polish or, or, you know, being able to play a clean game. This is 
this is a game that Kansas is going to need to come out and, and play a clean contest. And I think the defense has a chance to build some confidence in this one. And it could be the sort of game that's a 17 to 14 contest either way. What do you think is the tougher game left for KU? Is it this Saturday on the road in Ames, place they haven't won since 2008 against Iowa State, or is it the game at home against Kansas State in a couple weeks from now? I think it's the Iowa State game, and I know that's crazy. You have the losing streak to to Kansas State. You know, Kansas State's playing incredibly well right now. I think they've won their last two games by a combined score of 82-3. to but at the same time, when you look at the way that the teams match up and everything, I, I think that there's a chance that Kansas is going to be able to move the ball offensively against Kansas State. I, I think there are some areas there where Kansas is better than Kansas State's defense and some, some places where Kansas is going to have a chance to, to move the ball and have some comfort level there. Uh, offensively, it'll be interesting because obviously you, it, it's difficult to prepare for for two quarterbacks when you have a guy in Will Howard that can run the ball, but that's not necessarily you know what he does. Versus Avery Johnson, who you know is has kind of gotten a little more rope to to be able to throw and things like that, but primarily is a guy that runs four or five and causes a lot of issues for your defense. At the same time, I do think going on the road, you know, in an environment like that, with it being a night game, with how confident Iowa State is, with how well Iowa State's playing, I think that this may be the tougher game. Okay, well, that becomes very interesting. And uh, obviously, Iowa State is part of that five-way tie for first in the Big 12, so around the the league. Is your Big 12 title pick still Texas-Oklahoma, or how much did – KU's win over OU and, and the way some of these other teams are playing and, and the quarterback injury to Texas, has that altered anything at all for your uh, Big 12 title game pick? I think I would still pick Texas-Oklahoma, but gosh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't lay any money on it. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> I, I, it's one of those things where it's like somebody, somebody has to win, I, and I think that Oklahoma has struggled to stop the run lately, and, you know, Ollie Gordon is hotter than flapjacks right now and so if you you know if you look at that game from that perspective it it seems like oh man like that that could be it Oklahoma in two weeks could could get knocked out of that discussion and like you said Texas with the quarterback stuff playing a red hot K-State team this week by the way this is one of my favorite weeks I feel like for Big 12 football you know maybe all season there are so many games with intrigue and not just at the top of the league, when you look at, you know, some of the teams that are playing down the line, you have Houston against Baylor. You know, you have that UCF against Cincinnati. I mean, there there are some really intriguing games that we may talk a week from now and have a much better idea of sort of where the conference is, who the top teams are, and who the bottom of the league is, just based on the games of this week. If you were picking your, I guess, uh, Heisman for just Big 12 players. I, I guess Big 12 Player of the Year would, would just be a better way of putting that. Uh, right now, what would be your uh, your top three on your ballot? Ooh, uh, probably Dylan Gabriel, Jonathan Brooks, and I'm not sure who the other one would be, honestly. I mean, I, I know Ollie Gordon probably with how hot he's been lately, and if if we're talking at the end of the Big 12 season, if Oklahoma State winds up reaching the Big 12 title game, you'll say it was according to two factors, basically. One, 
the fact that they stopped playing 37 quarterbacks every game, <laughs> and two, that they started saying, hey, we've got an all-Big 12 running back in our backfield. Maybe we should give that guy the ball more. And, and so, yeah, I think Ollie Gordon's in that discussion for sure. I'm not sure if he's one, two, or three, but I think if Oklahoma State keeps doing what they're doing, you know, he's got a pretty good chance to be number one there. Over to some Big 12 basketball. It's been, I, I think, a pretty eventful last week or two here. Uh, when you look at results of secret scrimmages or exhibition games or some roster movement, obviously with you know West Virginia having the Kirk Carissa suspension and Jose Perez leaving with K-State, the Naquan Tomlin stuff, KU falls to Illinois. Is there a Big 12 basketball team over this last week or two that you've maybe grown a little bit more concerned over based on something that has happened? Or the flip side, a, a Big 12 team that you've seen a result that's come down or something that's happened that's made you think, Ah, maybe they're they're better than I think. You know, the I, I think I can come up with one for each. I, I think Texas Tech, you know, looked really good in in their game, and they played fast, Derek. Like I think all of us, and I realize Grant McCaslin said in Big Twelve Media Days, "Hey, we don't have the roster to play slow like we did at North Texas." But let's be honest; like every coach in the history of mankind has said that they're going to, I'm sure Tony Bennett mm-hmm. in Virginia at one point said, Hey man, this year we're going to get up and down the court like NASCAR. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, you, you heard that and everything and that, and yet there was tech getting up and down the court, you know, pop Isaac scoring 30 points and then, you know, throwing alley-oops on the break and stuff. And, and they looked, uh, they looked pretty good. And so Texas tech was actually a team that, that I picked as kind of my sleeper pick in the Big 12, but I came away maybe even a little bit higher on them. I, I think on the flip side of that, you know, I'd been down on West Virginia for a while before, you know, the crease of stuff and everything, so I don't want to pick them. I, I think K-State without Tomlin, you know, would be – that could be potentially devastating. I mean, the thing is you could maybe shift – guess in the center, but even so, you'd be giving away a lot against some of the Big 12 centers this year. That would move Arthur Kaluma, you would think, to his more natural four spot. But again, I I think K-State has a roster with Naquan Tomlin that I think has, you know, top five potential within the Big 12. I think you take him off, and it's really, really hard for for Kansas State to get into that sort of range. All right, I got a couple trades for you. The first okay. involves the Kansas Jayhawks. Zach Clements will be redshirting this year, but, you know, maybe, maybe you can dangle him in a trade and another team says, oh, we got, we got a couple years left with this kid, former you know, top 50 recruit in the country. Would Baylor football trade anyone to Kansas to help Kansas football for Zach Clements? Ooh, that, that is an interesting question. I, I don't think so just because I, I think what Baylor wants – from its center spot is different than what Zach Clements brings. Because I, I think what Baylor would like to have is a guy that, that's going to protect the paint on defense and, you know, just absolutely kill people on the glass. And so when you look at that, I, I don't think that they would trade anybody for, uh, for Clements just because I think he's the wrong kind of guy. Now, if you were to say, hey, what would Baylor have dealt for Ernest Uday back when Uday was on KU and before, you know, he wound up going to TCU. I think that would have been a really interesting discussion because I think that's the type of guy where Baylor would have said, huh, with our guard talent, 
with Jacoby Walter out on the wings and some of our other guys, you know, maybe this is a guy that gets us to the final four. All right, who says no to this trade? Kansas okay. State trades Will Howard to Iowa State for Omaha Baloo. Ooh, that's I think Chris Kleiman says no. Okay. I mean, Even with Avery Johnson? Don't, don't get me wrong. He's not getting anybody in this trade. So, <laughs> so he, he, he's probably saying no because of that. But I think that when you look at the pairing between Will Howard and Avery Johnson, I think it works. And I think it works for a lot of the same reasons that Chris Leak and Tim Tebow work, right? You had the, the upperclassmen who played a lot of football and the freshman was no real threat to his job, right? Like Tim Tebow was never going to beat out Chris Leak, but he could come in in certain packages and sort of enhance what they were doing and, and everything else. And I think that that's kind of why this thing at K-State works right now is the fact that it's not a heads-up conversation. You know, people, at least people who aren't on message boards, aren't, you know, sitting around basically saying, man, like, Avery Johnson needs to be the starter. Uh, I think Chris Kleiman's looking at it as we've we've got an experienced hand, somebody who knows how to get the offense in the right spots and all of those different things, and we've got this Corvette that we can just ask to to go do certain things, and, and he's going to be able to do those things. So I, I think Kleiman would, would kind of lean on them and, and say, no, no, like as, as good as Avery Johnson is and as good as Avery Johnson will be, I think Kleiman really, you know, appreciates having Will Howard there with him. Yeah, I just wondered because you get Johnson in there, you get basically sure. a replacement for Naquan Tomlin in a certain regard, sure. and Iowa State gets uh, a stud quarterback, and they're tied for first in the Big 12. So who knows? I, I thought that was kind of an interesting one. Uh, what is your local prospect of the week? Yeah, I'm actually going to double up on, on this one, and, and this will be one of the few times I will. It's just, we went out uh, this past week on, on Friday and saw Lincoln Cure out of, out of Goodland, and he's a guy that we brought up before. Uh, but this is our first chance to see him, you know, actually playing football. You know, not at a camp. He's out there in Goodland. For those of you who don't know, Goodland is pretty much to Denver, like it, it's that far <laughs> west in Kansas. And so, our only chance to get to see him play all year was going to be. You know, they weren't going to make the playoffs, but they do play an extra game where they come east and play somebody else who wasn't going to be in the playoffs. And that happened to be in Nickerson, Kansas, population 1,050. And so we we went, and it was uh, about a three-hour drive each way. Um, and uh, saw, saw this guy play, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting this on or, or trying to, you know, have hyperbole here or anything else. You know, I've, I've been looking at guys within the state from a recruiting and scouting standpoint for probably around 20 years. And Lincoln Cure is the best tight end prospect that I've wow. seen in the state over that time period. You know, he's a guy that is, you really must not have watched Jared Casey. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently not. Apparently not. But, no, he's he's six foot five, like legitimately measured six foot five. He's got tremendous body control. You know the way that he can move his body around. He's got big mitts where he can pluck the ball, you know, out of the air. You know, not just one handed, but you know, palm it like with his fingers and stuff. You know, and he's you know he's a tremendous athlete after the catch. You're talking about a tight end who runs a twenty two four two hundred meters. 
And he did that as a sophomore in high school. And so when you add all of that together, you know, he, he's a really good kid. He actually, the reason I'm bringing him up, in addition to seeing him, he made the trip up from Nickerson to Lawrence for the, the game on Saturday. And I think this could be a, a recruitment that, that winds up featuring the local schools maybe ahead of some other ones. And, and Kansas certainly had a, uh, had a good time to have him out on campus as well. Yeah, certainly they did. Picked a good one for him. Well, Kevin, I appreciate the uh, time as always, man, and enjoy your Halloween and enjoy some uh, some different assortments of candies. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, this is Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. Two hours down, one to go. We've got our KU Football Heroes and Villains segment next. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We are going to get to you some uh, Andy Kotelnicki, Brian Borland audio, Bill Self audio for tomorrow's show throughout the day. Coming up later this hour, we've got Lance Leipold audio from yesterday previewing the Iowa State game. So we'll get to that on the other side here. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Our Tuesday tradition, heroes and villains of the football game. Heroes and villains. Dun, dun, dun. We need like a, a superhero theme music to get into this. We do. We do. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll work out Superhero bed or something. We'll get in the lab on that one. Okay. Uh, so first off, offense. Who is the offensive hero for KU football? Okay, the thing with Jason Bean is like, can Jason Bean really be the offensive hero? Huh. I mean, <laughs> so because that's why I'm almost more inclined to pick Lawrence Arnold as the offensive hero. Sure. Because he makes the catch and runs on that fourth down play. But that's a tough. I know. That, that's I. I know Lawrence Arnold's open. It's a tougher throw than you think, Jason. No, it is. Make. It's raining. No, it is. It He's is. off his back foot. Three pass rushers Obviously, coming at him. Twenty twenty five yards uh, You know, Devin Allen, Daniel Highshaw. Who were great? Yeah, if you go I, to the O line, man, the O line was really good. O line was good because Jason. I don't. Did Jason get sacked? No, that game. I don't o- think he honestly, did. I'm going to go the O line. He's zero sacks against an Oklahoma defense that came in. I think it was one or two sacks behind the Big Twelve lead for most. And Oklahoma only had three tackles for loss. I'm also looking at Pro Football Focus. KU had a 93 run block grade. It was 92.8, which ties for their best with Missouri State. Yeah. So against arguably the best defenses that or defense that they had faced to that point, I think Iowa State's an even better defense than Oklahoma, so that'll be tougher this week. But to the point of the Oklahoma game, toughest defense they faced, Yeah. had an unbelievable game. And on top of that, the offensive line is, it's not all them. Like There were a lot of plays where Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw where it could have been a two or three yard run, and they made it like seven, eight, nine yards because they're just so incredible. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's the offensive line for me. Yeah. What's a good superhero that has five? Has or five of or him? Something you know? Is there a good superhero that's anything like that? And just like multiply himself? I don't know. That's a good question. By the way, Mike Nowitzki had himself a big game, and and this is something I I did want to bring up. He had an eighty-seven pass block grade that that led the team. Um, I think Mike Nowitzki's been playing through injury stuff over the course of the. I mean, we heard at one point Lance Leipold said he was like on the injury report, something this or that. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that he had arguably his best game or his best pass blocking game of the season coming off a of bye week when he yeah. had another chance to get rested a little bit more. Yeah, and Lance Leipold, uh, what was his quote yesterday where he was like, we got a bunch of guys in boots or whatever, but I'm not going to get into it. So it seems like maybe there are a, a, a whole host of guys who might be dealing with something or this, that, or the other after mm-hmm. that game. But, but yeah, I mean, to, to that point, you know, maybe the hero was the bye week. <laughs> That's a, yeah. Maybe the hero was sure. the bye week. Gives you extra time to prepare. And it clearly, clearly, it paid off, right? They had a lot more concepts on offense with the Wildcat and stuff that, that we hadn't seen all season. Yeah, the health factor. Maybe the heroes the bye week. 
Okay. So I'm going offensive line, though, efficient, uh, officially. Okay. What are you okay. taking? I'll take bye week. Give it okay, to me. you will take bye week. I'll take bye week. All right. Uh, what is your defensive hero? Mm, defensive hero. I mean, Kenny I think Melo Dotson. Bunch of tackles. Yeah, Melo Dotson. It's or hard for Melo Dotson though because he, he got hurt and he only played I think seven snaps. Yeah, but that and that also one play is just so important. The, the pick six is very forgettable because it happened six hours before the game ended <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Uh, could you say JB Brown? He had a handful JB Brown. of tackles. He had the forced fumble. Yeah, I kind of like Kenny Logan though. Austin Booker, Jeremy yeah. Robinson. Yeah. I kind of like Kenny Logan, though, to be honest. You like Kenny Logan? What about the weather? No, I was, well, for the defense? Yeah, because it, it made OU not really throw the ball a ton. <sighs> I guess. Uh, eh. 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 <laughs> okay, what about Kobe Bryant, too? Now, I know this one sounds crazy because it's like, oh, well, what did Kobe Bryant do? Well, the reason Kobe well, Bryant Well, if you have to ask what a, a defensive stats, back did, it's probably exactly. because he was doing was his job. The, he, he was targeted one time. He gave a five yards. Yeah. He gave a five yards. And all of them were after the catch, which you know what that means? It was a screen pass that got five yeah, yards. Yeah, it's so fascinating that, you know, if you don't hear about a cornerback, it's good. If yeah. you don't hear about a middle linebacker, it's bad. If you don't hear about a nose tackle, it's good. If you don't hear about a D-end, it's that bad. That is kind of a weird dichotomy. <laughs> but, I mean, Kobe Bryant was awesome, man. He, his coverage yeah. was great. Yeah. And, I like, th there's so much value in being able to be like, okay, we just don't have to worry about that that oh, part absolutely. of the field or that guy and right I, there. And I kind of questioned going into the game how much that would really factor in because, in my mind, I'm looking at Oklahoma and I, and I saw, you know, four guys that were 400 receiving yards. They've got a depth of talent. And I wondered if that was if if the fact that you could use Kobe Bryant to shut down one guy was going to matter that much. If Oklahoma had other guys step up, well, it ended up Kobe Bryant. He he did end up being a significant aspect of changing the passing game. Well, here's where I think it really mattered. Nick Anderson. I don't know that he was always on Anderson. At times, he was. Anderson is the young freshman receiver for them who's who's been really explosive. The week before against UCF, Anderson had five catches for 105 and a touchdown and two touchdowns against KU. He had one for 18. Like he's a guy who can take over the game and, and hit some deep balls, but yeah, didn't happen against KU. So you going you going Kobe Bryant? Um, unsung hero? No, I'm gonna actually go JB Brown. Okay, JB Brown's been my yeah. guy forever. Yeah, he is, forcing he's, the big that's, fumble that's there. I know five tackles, like <laughs> providing physicality in a game where you have to provide physicality. Sure, so important. Yeah, on JB Brown, uh, I'll pick Kenny Logan, and I also Kenny Logan with a asterisk for Brian Borland here because. Mm. What happened was Oklahoma was having a lot of success running the ball, and KU made an adjustment to dedicate their safeties to coming up to the line of scrimmage with Kenny Logan and Marvin Grant, and that was an adjustment from the from up top from from Brian Borland and the coaching staff, and it paid off in a big way because they they did they decided to make that adjustment, and I'm sure it came with some risk of you know if we make this adjustment and we and we have our safeties be more aggressive, are we going to be, be vulnerable over the top of the passing game? It didn't end up mattering. Uh, they they played great on the outsides to help with that and. Kenny Logan and Marvin Grant, that adjustment really did help with the run game and made a huge difference. I mean, Kenny Logan was was either actively making a tackle or actively influencing a plays, you know, where it ended up being positive for Kansas on the defensive side. So I think Kenny Logan, with the help of Brian Bullen making that adjustment, that's my uh, hero for the defense. I think that's a good one. What about special teams? <sighs> Who officially tough. recovered the one fumble? Uh, I, I believe Cornell Wheeler recovered it. I think it was Cornell Wheeler. I think that's right. Yeah. I know Mason Ellis was around the ball. I know yeah, Tori so Lachlan the, was around so the ball. But in the yeah. video, it's what happens was the ball kind of comes out, and then it, Mason Ellis, he doesn't recover it, but he kind of like punches it or like kicks it or whatever. Make sure and, it's And knocks loose. it away yeah. from the pile. 
And then Cornell Wheeler, I believe, is the one that ended up actually recovering it. So you could say that. Um, Damon Greaves punted once? I think twice. Actually, we could go Damon Greaves. He had the one punt that wasn't fielded and it just bounced back a ways. And again, I think both of his punts yeah, were punts. not returned. Two punts for a 43 average. But it was also net, net. 43. Yes. So neither was returned. And that continues yeah, no, to be the Oklahoma, theme for Greaves. Oklahoma did not uh, right. have any punt returns. So it's basically like, even if you're... That's the big thing. If you're only going to average low 40s yard per punt, but there's, no, if there's return, no return, then it's fine. actually a good trade-off. Yeah, who cares? We I, I don't know what the number is now, but we mentioned it last week going into the OU game. KU was ninth in yards per punt, but they were top three in net yards per punt. So you're not giving up those hidden yards over the course of the game, and that was the case again against OU. So yeah, yeah I'd, I'd be go fine giving the, uh, especially the Australian here. from down under. Yeah. <laughs> Thunder down under. Damon Greaves. If next time we get to interview him, you should you should do that and see Thunder if he down under. Uh, see if he thinks it's good at all. Do you think he likes the nickname Thunder Down Under? Well, I was just gonna say him grade your your oh Australian my Australian accent. accent? Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. I know it's terrible. Oh, I can't villains? do. I can't really do accents. Yeah. What about villains? I think this is an obvious one, but I I will bring up a couple other names. Uh, I do think Tawie Walker. Is it Tywee, Tywee, however you pronounce it? I think it's Tawi. Tawi Walker, the, uh, the the running back for Oklahoma. He deserves to go up there because this is like the the most. This usually happens to Kansas basketball. Guy comes in averaging eight points per game and puts up 20. Uh, Tawi Walker came in with 240 rushing yards in five games. He had 146 against Kansas. Yeah. So that's kind of villainry in a certain level. Like, that is some villainry. You know, yeah. play, play in your best game some of the year. Some chicanery, some tomfoolery. I think the weather delay could yeah. go up here. You know, yeah. OU came out. Yeah, um, I think the weather would be a villain here. I mean, I understand that we, you know, we talked about how maybe it did kind of help Kansas, but the delay I don't think really helped. And then uh, a lot was made about the crowd after the delay, which sure. like whatever. But like, I guess you can call it a villain there because it, it it did it probably affected the atmosphere. I'm sure to a certain extent, but. Uh, I don't know. I don't really care to get into the debate about people leaving, whatever. Yeah. But it, it obviously it affected the atmosphere because it that that stadium was full and it was pretty loud, you know, beforehand, uh, and, and it was definitely impacted by that. Plus the delay, I think, did probably negatively affect KU. But I don't know. J- by the way, Jason Bean had a really funny quote on post game about this. Uh, somebody asked him about the weather delay, and he was like, "No, it was good because I got to not be cold." <laughs> I was like, "I saw something." <laughs> That said, they were crushing Uncrustables. In the, I think it was to Max Olson of the Athletic in the locker room. So maybe that's a hero. Uncrustables for a, a part of this. I think another one would be the refs. Um, the call on Craig yeah, Young. dude. Oh. The calling the Ford Progress down on what would have been a fumble. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They're not calling, picking up the OPI at the end of the game. The main one, though, this is to me like a hands down. It, Drake Stoops. You have the the little white slot receiver. <laughs> just inherently, that guy becomes a villain it's for annoying. the other team. Yeah, it's, it's inherently it's infuriating. But he had a big game. He yeah. kept like making big plays. On top of it, he was the guy on the receiving end of the Craig Young penalty call. Yeah. I think it's Drake Stoops. Yeah, so he had the one long he catch and run. He represents OU for, in so many ways. Yeah, you know, he had the one long catch and run for like 39 yards. Uh, four catches for 76 yards in the game. So he didn't he didn't really go off, but he had the one big it, that's play. Like half their receiving yards. Yeah, game. he had the one big play. He he was in, involved in the play that that had the Craig Young penalty. Uh, and and you're right, just the 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 short white slot <laughs> receiver. Just it's you know it's it's too it's, easy. It's inherently it's easy gets under your skin. It does inherently gets under your skin. It does. All right, uh, we're gonna take a timeout. Get some Lance Leipold audio. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN.
depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.